Hello, everyone. You're listening to Hey Man, the advice podcast for men. I'm Avi Klein. I'm Sam Graham Filson. I'm a therapist. Sam's a novelist. And each week, we answer one of your questions and hopefully get a few of our own questions answered as well. This week, our guest is professional dominatrix Dia Dynasty. We discuss sex and power along with her own journey to becoming a dominatrix. And in the second half, she helps us with an advice question from a man who is questioning his capacity to stay in a long-term monogamous relationship. Dia, welcome. Thank you. I'm stereotyping our listeners, but for people who just don't have like a real familiarity with BDSM, can you can you introduce yourself and kind of can we get some concepts maybe like uh, agreed on? I think that would of be course. helpful. Um, maybe some shared vocabulary. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so my name is Dia Dynasty. Um, I am a professional dominatrix, and that means that I um, provide a service that is very specific to um, BDSM, which is most commonly known as bondage, discipline, sadomasochism. Mm -hmm. But there's also kind of like these newer um, words cropping up like... um, in inside of BDSM, there's a D and an S. Okay. So a lot of times that's dominant and submissive, you yeah. know. Um, and uh, I create experiences for people outside of the realm of normal sexuality. So kink is an alternative sexuality mm-hmm. in that um, the narrow band of what is acceptable in our um, in our society as as sexuality there's a lot, there's a lot more. Yeah. So, um, say for example, you know, um, uh, a heterosexual cisgendered man yeah. wants to be submissive and wants to serve somebody else. And so we, you know, we create an experience where he gets to feel that way and gets to like kind of release himself from the expected gender roles of like manhood and what it means to be a man and Mm. that alpha aggressive, you know, like confident, strong person. And he can kind of be vulnerable. And, um, and then, you know, like in addition to that, if, if there are fetishes that, uh, this person would be interested in exploring, like, um, a fetish is also another alternative sexuality that is based in arousal and where, it's um, outside of the norm of, you know, like, um, I guess what arouses most people being that yeah. <laughs> you mean like genitalia, I guess, <laughs> and, and boobs. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so for example, if they have a uh, foot fetish, yeah. you know, that's one of the more common like ones. It is. It's, yeah. it's very... Um, it, it's very explored in a lot of cartoons, actually. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, surprisingly. I missed that, All right. <laughs> um, so, yes, uh, foot fetishism, um, submission, um, bondage is mm. another one, the feeling of being restrained, because sometimes, you know, we, we don't experience any sort of restraint in our lives. Mm-hmm. And um, the compression of restraint and the, the delayed satisfaction of restraint is, what do you mean by delayed satisfaction of restraint? Um, restraint being that you are kind of physically held mm-hmm. in a way where you don't get to like get up from your chair or yeah. you don't get to touch yourself yeah. or you don't get to, you know, like rub on somebody's legs or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that kind of restraint kind of makes you want it more mm-hmm. and, and it feeds kind of that power dynamic of somebody being in control of who, you know, the, the bottom basically. Yeah. Um, and then the top being who I play as a yeah. dominant or a top. Yeah. And, and that power dynamic is also another um, BDSM tenet, you mm-hmm. know, like power dynamics and power play. Like power exchange. Power or, exchange, uh, absolutely. And so, you know, the inverse of that in our, in our socially accepted culture norm is that men are in power and women yeah. are not. Yeah. And so that, you know, that kind of power exchange is also another service and experience that I provide. Yeah. Can you, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but mm-hmm. I am curious like how you landed in this profession or like what, what drew you to it? Um, I would say that from the beginning of time, thousands of years ago Uh um i've always identified as a pervert Uh and that would be in my definition somebody who um likes to push boundaries Uh and specifically sexually Uh 
Yeah. And so did you um, always conceptualize it that way? Or no, no, but I did find that what drove normal people and what aroused normal people didn't really work for me. Uh Like I would take it one step further and that would arouse me. Uh And so it was like um, sneaking around and doing things in a clandestine way. Um, Taboo stuff. Yeah. And, but it, of course that's all kind of subjective because it depends on your culture and it depends on what's accepted in, in mm-hmm. the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so as, as I moved more into the American culture from my Chinese background, Did you grew up in, or you were born in China. Or? I was raised in Taiwan uh-huh. and, um, that was up until I was in kindergarten. Uh-huh. And so I started kindergarten in America Got it. and shifted, you know, culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, so the things that, the things that, that drove me sexually were outside of the norm. Just, let's just say that, you know, mm-hmm. I was still exploring when I was young. Um, when I moved to New York, um, I think it was 2007 or 2008. Mm-hmm. I, decided that I wanted to find um, something, you know, an occupation, a job, a a gig Mm -hmm. that would be exciting in this way that I could explore what sex is, but not necessarily like um, with my own body. Okay. Uh (laughs) So, so sex work has also intrigued me. Uh-huh. And and to me, that's like outside of the norm uh-huh. of, of, you know, the expected um, Asian daughter role uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> that that being mostly, you know, um, in my family, most Asian daughters went to college for economics mm-hmm. or, um, you know, law, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a dutiful daughter. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I also studied art and. Uh, worked at a strip club for a little while Mm -hmm. and that was my first foray into sex work which was not as fulfilling or deep Uh and so finally you know upon moving to new york i decided i'd really you know this is my chance at really getting to understand um what the sex industry is about because i was always drawn to it i feel so anxious just imagining like diving into something like that it was um thrilling yeah. for me. I guess that's the other side of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, astrologically, I'm one of those people that dives in. <laughs> so I looked on Craigslist uh-huh. and found a, a listing that was for a Chinatown dungeon. Okay. Um, like seeking Seeking, seeking to train okay. new people. Got it. Uh, providing a full fetish wardrobe, paid training, uh-huh. um, make your own hours mm-hmm. type of thing. Yeah. And that sounded like a dream. So <laughs> I dove into that. Yeah. And the very first experience that I had, you know, they hired me immediately because um, I'm cute. And the very first experience that I had that was a training session uh-huh. was the pinnacle of perversion. Okay. In my opinion, it was a person who worked in food service Mm -hmm. and they had brought a pair of yellow dishwashing gloves Mm -hmm. and a stick of butter. Uh huh. And this was for an activity that involved his body cavity. Got it. (laughs) And so, you know, to, to pervert these kitchen items. Yeah. Yeah. And do this thing that I'd never done before. didn't even know was possible. Yeah. I was, you know, thrilled. I was high. Uh-huh. So this is how I decided this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Got it, got it. <laughs> I, I find myself sort of struggling to relate to BDSM. Like I just, there's not, they're like little bits of it that I can see, but there's a lot that I don't, I just don't, I don't get it mm-hmm. honestly. And I feel like I could. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I'm wondering if maybe you can like help me out in, or, and for someone who's just sort of like, they don't feel the charge immediately. Like what would be appealing about it? You know? Right. Um, I feel like BDSM is such a formal term and yeah. kind of a mouthful. Yeah. Uh, I do like to, I do, I do like to use it interchangeably with the word kink, which is like okay. a little more like tinkling glasses, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> like, a, like a cheers. <laughs> um, so, so I think that kink is, 
um, not that hard to come by in, in terms of sexuality. Yeah. And that most people probably have some little kink. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be like a space in your head that you might need to go yeah. to get aroused. Yeah. Um, or even like ass play for a man mm-hmm. is, is kinky. Yeah, You know, like sure. having your prostate stimulated. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I think also arousal and I guess fetishization is, mm-hmm. is another form of kink where there is a whole population of people that are, you know, that fetish, fetishize Asians yeah. or fetishize black women yeah. or fetishize fat black women, you yeah. know, yeah. or, you know, like other body parts and, mm-hmm. and stuff. So I think that all of that is considered like a kink. Yeah. Well. I feel like, I mean... I would imagine there are a lot of people out there who are doing that and don't like consciously realize that that's what they're doing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that wouldn't self-identify as like, that's my kink. They're just like, that's what I like. Or, yeah. Like, that's good. Or like, yeah. And that's I'd great. Like it. it doesn't have to be identified in that way. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that just having open openness to your own and openness and acceptance to your own sexuality and what drives you and yeah. what turns you on is, is awesome. Yeah. I think that it's um, it's it's more. I guess it like can reach that spectrum can reach into some pretty extreme stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's it's actually a spectrum. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like black or white. Yeah. And the line is not really a line. It's more like a smudge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True. I so one of the reasons that um, I wanted to have you on is because personally I have the experience with a lot of male patients that I work with that are struggling with. Um, different issues around sexuality. It's surprising how often it comes up. Um, but, you know, two that come to my mind are, one, there's just a lot of shame around their kinks. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of mixed feelings about dominance in particular. And I was wondering, as someone who maybe has more experience in, in as a practicing dominant, mm-hmm. um, like, I, I'm wondering what your experience with that it's like a, a men feeling uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If yeah. You can speak to that. I think that, um, shame is very prevalent in, in these areas where, um, in our society, we've created, a, a very narrow place for men to exist mm-hmm. in their social behaviors and gender performances. Sure. So, um, I'll call that a man box sure. for now. Yeah. So in inside the man box is where everybody wants men to, you know, be and, and men have to be assertive and confident yeah. and the breadwinner and in control and in charge mm-hmm. and know everything and be able to do everything and fix all the things. And, you know, um, that can be very tiresome. Yeah. And so when you when you're a man that doesn't fit into the man box or like is half in and half out, mm-hmm. um, it can cause a lot of anxiety. It can cause um, shame, obviously. And, and I think it can cause a lot of actual afflictions, Mm -hmm. like physical afflictions Mm. and the shame of not, you know, presenting yourself in society as these things and having these outside desires like wanting to submit or wanting to be dominated by somebody else or wanting to have something up your butt, but you're not gay, you Mm know, Mm -hmm. um, all of this stuff is, is nothing, you know, nobody talks about this. Yeah. There, there's nowhere to learn about it. Yeah. Um, sex ed doesn't cover this. Not at all. Uh, where do you go? Right. You know? So I think that sex workers, specifically dom- dominatrices like mm-hmm. myself, um, we, even though we provide such a specific service and exist in such like tight circles, it's really important for us to talk about it in a way that reaches more people. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the reasons that my business partner, Lucy Sweetkill and I created Le Maison de Rouge, mm-hmm. which is um, more of a brand of education and awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, we, we do these uh, weekly broadcasts mm-hmm. on Monday evenings, like tonight. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, we talk about these things and we interview people mm-hmm. and we interview people from the sex industry. We interview people that are just, you know, who identify self-identify as kinky or are in some adjacent, uh, form, you know, connected to something that we know about. Yeah. So pretty much like anybody, you know, even if, if they are 
sex therapists, um, kink friendly yeah. and sex positive people, we get everybody to talk about it. And we try to normalize these desires because they are relatively normal. And there are more people out there that are into um, these less common, less seen outside of the man box sexual desires than, than you think. Yeah. And so letting people know that they're not alone and that there is community around it, I think is really important in trying to destigmatize these sexual desires. Yeah. Um, and then the, the idea of submitting to a dominant, I think is like, you know, we have all these images and these ideas from uh, media. And a lot of times the media likes to paint us as these very extreme, you know, menacing, like whip brandishing, like bitches. Yeah. And that we're no mercy and we will just like basically choke you out and, <laughs> and do things to your, you know, passed out body or yeah. whatever. And and that is really not how it is. It's yeah. <laughs> it's a very um it's a very negative stereotype that does uh seem to draw like a lot of attention because it's so sensational mm. and, and it's, um, but it's, it's, it's very much like 0.1% of anything that happens in an actual session. And so I think it's really important to let people know that what we do is pre-negotiated. So everything is talked about. We talk about interests. We talk about boundaries we talk about physical limits, like, you know, if you have asthma, maybe we shouldn't choke you, you know, <laughs> things like that. Um, we don't, we actually, as sex workers and as, as doms, we actually do care a lot for our clients because we are holding a space for them to be the things that they want to be when they don't know where to be it. Yeah. They don't have a place for it. When I think about this dynamic, that power dynamic, is it often seems like the submissive person actually wields a lot of power and seems like like they're, they're controlling a lot of what's happening, it seems to me. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that it may be a misnomer to say that they control everything. Mm -hmm. um, but the illusion is that we are, you know, the dominant is in control. But in reality, it's very much a collaboration. And so the fantasy is that the dominant is wielding all the power mm -hmm. and forcing him to do the things. But that's only because there are things that have been pre-negotiated yeah. and talked about that are his sexual desires. So there's, there is actually a, a little bit of a difference between being fully dominant and being a service top. Okay. And, and a service top is more just like, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm just playing the role of topping. Mm-hmm. So the, the top is the person doing and the bottom is the person receiving. And, and so those are also terms that we use in, in our community as ways to identify like kind of who's got the role. Yeah. Um, but dominant and submissive are almost like more emotional needs that are being met mm. too. And so... This is what I was getting after when I wanted my way in. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so when somebody is needing to submit, yeah. you know, they will seek out a dominant. Um, depending on who they seek out, this person may identify as a fully dominant person and not be open to like listening to every single thing that the submissive wants to do. Mm -hmm. um, or, this do the dominant may also say these are the things I'm into. If they don't align, if your things, your, if your interests don't align with mine, then go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So, but then there's the idea of a service top, which I think I'm like half dominant, half service top. Mm -hmm. um, I'm willing to play into all of your interests as long as I'm getting something out of it too. Mm -hmm. So we kind of like, you know, flow between you getting your foot fetish met and then yeah. me getting to like maybe tickle you uh -huh. because that's what I'm into. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. Got it. Um, and, and, you know, that doesn't always work, but, uh, as the, as the a role of a professional dominant, you know, we, we do have to project this air of like, like we're in charge mm -hmm. and, um, and granted, you know, the, the, the bottom or the submissive may just, end up doing the things that we're already telling him to do mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. But the fact that we are telling him to do it yeah. is what 
makes it click. Yeah. What are like the stereotypes of the kind of person who would be a dominant and the kind of person who would be a submissive and how often do they match up with the reality? That's a really good question. Um, I think that stereotypically dominant women are seen as bitches, as like, you know, like I said, whip wielding, you know, sirens clad in latex and, and wearing like leather corsets all the time. And, you know, we're mean and, um, and we have no mercy and we hate men and, and things like that. And it's really quite the opposite. Um, we love to wear yoga pants. <laughs> <First of all. laughs> um, but we, you know, we do have, we do have to kind of like consider that we are giving a, providing a service. So, so there has to be some, you know, some expectations that are met, but, um, but we are actually very nurturing people, um, and kind and collaborative. And then some of the misconceptions about submissives, which are often men, um, white men of a certain, you know, age bracket Mm -hmm. is that they're weak and that they, um, are losers or that they're worms or whatever. Mm -hmm. And really that's not the case because I think that one of the main reasons that the emotional need of wanting to submit exists is because in their daily lives from nine to five or from, you know, 10 to 10 every day, they are, they have to project confidence and assertiveness and, and control and always like know how to solve the problem and be the breadwinner and, you know, get the lawn mowed and, and all this stuff when sometimes they just want to kind of fall apart. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just want to wear some like frilly panties and, you know, or a diaper or, or whatever and, and get their bottom spanked and, you know, just kind of like be treated differently mm-hmm. than what is expected of them. Mm. Okay. Let me, let me preface this by saying, so like, I know a lot of men that I work with, I think a lot of men, uh, maybe whether they know it or not might be service tops without, <laughs> without, uh, their awareness. Like I, I feel like a lot of, uh, cisgendered hetero men, feel pressure from their girlfriends or wives to Mm. play a certain dominant role. Right. And I have like a lot of men complaining about that to me and not knowing like how to be dominant. And I was wondering like if, like what, how did you learn how to have, like what's dominance to you and how did you learn how to do that? Um, a lot of trial and error Mm -hmm. because the thing about being dominant, it doesn't mean that you're a mind reader. Or that you can read like the most subtle cues in somebody's voice and know exactly what to do from there, Mm -hmm. you know? So again, tons of communication, um, getting inside somebody's head and really, really understanding them and Mm -hmm. asking them questions and testing things out and making mistakes. Um, after my, you know, like doing this for 11 years, I kind of can see patterns forming mm-hmm. with certain mm-hmm. people. So I know how to play out that pattern. Um, but I am in a very narrow band of experience with these people in that, like I have experienced many people's uh, sexual desires taking on certain patterns so I can kind of predict these things. But, um, but I still get surprised and I still learn. And I think for men who are, um, unsure about how to dominate their woman in, (laughs) in the bedroom. Um, ask her questions, you know, like it always comes down to asking. It it does. And, and also, you know, let there be play in it. Let there not be this pressure to like orgasm all the time or to get it right the first time. Or, you know, like that builds up anxiety and that's not fun, you know, and, and it gets frustrating when it's like, the woman has an expectation that the man is not meeting mm. and she's not saying anything, you know? And, and it's like, like moans and groans don't communicate that much. They mm. communicate something, but there needs to be more verbalizing. So, so like, yes, there, or no, not there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for, like... or, or for the man to say here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny because it seems like there's like, you know, speaking of stereotypes, like there is a stereotype that if you use words that somehow takes you out of the moment and makes you less, you know, feral or whatever, makes yeah. you less sexual if you're using language. 
but it seems like the way you're talking about it, that's not the case at all. For it's, you. Re- it's really not. Yeah. And I feel like that is a very limiting belief for a lot of people, myself included, until recently. Um, so I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. And, and I think like there has, you know, in my, in my life, and I'm speaking to um, relatively heteronormative experience um, personally, that I've, I've been in positions of sexual encounter where I didn't know how to direct the man. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it would just be hit or miss, literally. And so the more that I'm able to verbalize or the more that he's able to verbalize and I can have a conversation with him, it's still sexy talk. Mm-hmm. Um, because foreplay a lot of times is, uh, takes on the form of sexting, you know? So mm-hmm. like your brain is your most powerful sex organ. And if you're not talking, then your brain isn't necessarily being activated in all the ways that can feed into the hotness of a, you know, of a scene or of an encounter. Yeah. Um, I was wondering also like, you know, when you said that it should be, there should be play to it. And I don't know if you see this with, do you call them clients? What do you call them? Like what are the, yeah, the, yeah they're clients or, um, devotees or <laughs> pets. Uh-huh. Uh, they can be upgraded, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, are people like, I was wondering how someone might cultivate more playfulness and was wondering if you ever work with someone who's not very playful or who needs help kind of like getting out of their head. Well, Play and playfulness, I think, are two different things. Okay. So I have a playful demeanor, mm-hmm. um, which means that sometimes I can be very giggly and and like want to do things like, you know, my pervert, perverted side comes out and I'm a playful pervert where I'm not seriously doing these things to you, but I am kind of like trying to see where your button's at uh-huh. and maybe want to push them a little bit. Uh-huh. And that's kind of playful for me because I'm I'm doing it in a way where I'm, where it's, the, lo- the stakes are low. Um, and play is keeping the stakes low, you know, like, like it can be serious in, in some tones when if say you're doing like a role play and, and you know, my fantasy is that I'm a patient and, and my boyfriend is the doctor Mm -hmm. and he's doing all these like kind of like he's wearing rubber gloves and he's, he's got a doctor's coat and he's saying the things that doctors say, but he's doing all the weird shit. Mm-hmm. and and probing and prodding and using uh, these things yeah and that is play yeah, yeah. but it you know it's it, serious it's serious like, <laughs> yes yeah. exactly yeah i guess i'm wondering maybe you're agnostic about this i don't know but i'm just thinking for guys like us or other uh, men who just have not really seriously explored this world like do you, are we missing out in some way and especially i'm thinking of like um because it does seem, at least personally, I can say more uncomfortable to explore my submissive side. Mm. Like that's, it just seems more, there's more dissonance there. For sure. Me. Yeah. Um, like, am I just disowning a part of myself by not like, you know, not that's, learning about that side of myself? That's a question that I think only you can answer. <laughs> um, and I encourage everybody to disconnect from pornography mm. and from, um, media for a little while, you know, like media is so pervasive that it programs us in these subconscious ways where we don't even know that we're acting out, you know, what other people have told us to do. Um, I think, you know, and this is a challenge for most people, myself included, is to get very internal and to try to come up with a place that is try to get in touch with a place that is deep within that, that kind of connects with like the, and I'm not agnostic about this. Um, the second chakra, which is your, you know, like your, your sex chakra, basically it's it's the, it's an energy hub that, um, that, that kind of glows with, uh, what's the word? Procreativity. Um, it is where your sex organs are. And it's like kind of if you focus your energy in this area, you might be able to hear or feel or see, however, you know, like the way that your body speaks to you, something that can, that can, that you can grow into mm-hmm. or that you could grow on. So, um, you know, for me, it's, you know, I'm, I'm in my 40s 
And it's taken me a really long time to own some of my deviant desires. Mm -hmm. And these are not necessarily programmed into me from social media or from media or, you know, television, what movies, whatever, but they were triggered by certain things in movies and, and television. So I think that these things are within us inherently and they're triggered by, by outside sources. Um, and they're, and they're, it's just like a breadcrumb trail that you need to follow. And if it's something that makes you uncomfortable, maybe that's, you know, that's a sign that it could be traumatic to you. Sure. So that's not necessarily something you need to like right. <laughs> investigate yeah. fully, but do kind of follow, follow that impulse or follow that feeling to, its origin mm -hmm. like where does it come from mm -hmm. is it a deep fear is it a you know a, an actual trigger or is it just something you're not interested in yeah because not a, i don't think everybody's kinky yeah I, I, yeah that's kind of where my mind was going was like would it be better if everyone sort of like had their own self-identified kinks or? um i mean better for what <laughs> <laughs> i guess like that they could sort of connect to their sense of individuality because everyone is different, right? I think there's, you know, there's nuances of sex that are, that, that we've kind of looked over. So one of the things that, um, that I found really arousing about, about like sex is, is the sounds. Mm -hmm. And, and so like, I don't even know if that's necessarily a kink, but there is a whole, you know, channel of asmr stuff going mm -hmm. on and and i don't know if there's actually like sex noises in in that but you know like somebody biting an apple or or crumpling up paper and and the way that it kind of activates our nervous system yeah so i think something like that could i guess you could call it a kink but that doesn't necessarily mean that you you need like hand you know handcuffs and like it doesn't need to be fetishized right there's like another you could be, you could hone in on particular things without it being like a prerequisite or something like totally. that. Totally. Yeah. Um, maybe you could speak from your own life or from other people in the community that you've talked to about this, but like, it seems like a powerful thing to, you know, getting back to what you were talking about with the second chakra to like be able to tap into, you know, in all caps, who you really are. Right. And, um, and I wonder, does that, like, once you sort of discover who you really are sexually, does it ever bleed into other areas of your life where, like, you figure out who you really are artistically or creatively or politically or, or in other categories? I think when you know who you are, like, period, you, you know how to handle things. Mm -hmm. Because you're like, you can say no, you can set boundaries, you can yeah. say yes, because you know who you are. When you know who you are sexually, which is a part of knowing who you are, you aren't going to be so easily manipulated into messed up situations of, you know, people who are trying to take advantage of you in, in sexual ways. Um, something will alarm you right away to, to when something is good and when something's bad. You can feel that part of yourself um, activating and, and kind of responding and being in touch with those like very subtle feelings within yourself. So yes, I think that that is absolutely uh, something that ripples throughout your life. I think we should get to the question because I feel like some of this is relevant to it, perhaps. Uh, so I'm going to read the question and then uh, we'll, we'll go over it a little bit. Hey man, I'm looking for some help in figuring out my priorities in romantic relationships. I'm 36 years old and I'm about eight months into what feels like a serious relationship. My longest relationship lasted a year and a half when I was 30. Mostly I see people in a more casual way and things fizzle out on their own after a few weeks or maybe a couple of months. I'm almost always the one to end things. And even when I'm not, I don't mind that things have ended, but things feel different in this relationship. Part of it is just that I know I'm tired of what I've been doing and I see my friends partnering up and settling down. I know that this is the time to do that. If anything, I'm behind everyone but this person checks a lot of boxes for me on paper. The problem is, despite there being so much that I like about the relationship, I think about breaking up with her once a week or every two weeks. It's not all the time, but it is every time she does something that bothers me. I'm neater than she is, so when things are messy, I tend to just think about how life would be easier without this person. Or anytime there's tension around making plans or our sex life, we don't have it as often as I'd like, my mind just goes to, this would be so much easier if I was on my own. 
if I'm, if I'm being honest, I've had the same thought many times before, which is why I've been happy to let relationships just fizzle out. Is this a sign we should end things? Am I not made for long-term monogamy? Signed, Fearful on Fifth Avenue. Ooh. Any any first impressions or themes from, from so this? many so many <laughs> what what stands out to you okay um, so fearful mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that is a very appropriate way to sign this letter because it does sound like you are fearful of getting to maybe deepen your knowledge of yourself mm. and deepen your ability to and capacity to have a relationship. Mm-hmm. So am I speaking to fearful? Yeah, you can. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, when things get frustrating or annoying, are you communicating? Are you guys focused on finding a solution? Or are you just kind of like not dealing with it? Right. You know, um, Like if you're not having sex as often as you'd like, um, maybe talk about that Mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe long-term monogamy isn't even the only paradigm that exists for you guys. Maybe, you know, you guys could talk about open relationship or talk about seeing, um, a sex worker. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, and then parenthetically, can I ask you, sorry to interrupt you. Yes. Do you, how, how many of your clients are in relationships who are seeing you to get needs met that they can't get in there? Like, um, I would say, and I'm not a, a statistics sure. type kind yeah, of yeah. person. So I would say, um, like 60 to 70%. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And, and that's for many different reasons. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many of them after working with you are able to go back to their partners and express some of those needs. Is that a goal or is it? Uh, not always. Not, I think not that necessarily, yeah. of, of all my clients who are of a certain age bracket and mm. from a certain generation, um, their lives are set mm. and maybe, you know, they like it that way and they want to compartmentalize, which is completely understandable because there have been people that I've seen who have, you know, wanted to to bring their their spouses into this kink world or at least like be able to play with them in a kink way. And their spouses rejected them. And then eventually yeah. there was divorce. Right. <laughs> not good. I mean, that's... <laughs> or maybe good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, that's, that's not for me to decide. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did not encourage this person to divorce, you know. Um, or, or to, to ask for it. I think that it was a consequence of maybe just, um, complacency in, in a marriage that kind of fizzled out a long time ago and they just become like friends. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like, um, I think we've had questions like this in the past and both of us are married and it's not like we're trying to, but sometimes we, we end up kind of like without even intending to kind of like rooting for monogamy yeah. or rooting for That's the relationship. That's why I picked this succeed. one for Dia. I yeah. thought she would, she seems more like open to, well, no. would not be her, her agenda necessarily. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I feel like, I feel like even on over the course of doing a bunch of episodes of this podcast, I've gotten more open-minded about like n- not necessarily, you know, thinking that monogamy is like the moral standard or anything like that. And that there's lots of different ways to live and be happy. And, you know, and, and, and so like, you know, I think maybe my more old school way of approaching this kind of question is like, what can you do to like, you know, save the relationship relationship versus, you know, does it make sense for, you know, is it okay to be, um, a a non-committed person or is it, you know, is it, you know, maybe there is an interesting possibility of exploring, you know, alternative ways of being in a relationship with his partner, you know, and, and I think that's fine. I think, I think like it, I just think that like, it's so easy to problematize Mm -hmm. what this guy is, is, is reaching out to you about. Like, and in fact, he's making it himself a problem. He's saying like, what's wrong with me? I'm, I'm, I've always like not really wanted to be committed and maybe there's something wrong with him, but maybe there's not, maybe he's just, that's not his thing. I think he would love 
to hear that in a way, but I think actually Dia's instincts are right that like he would love to hear that because that would mean that he could just avoid everything a lot, you know, like, Oh, I just don't want commitments. I guess that's just who I am when really what he's afraid of is conflict or, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, like what's going to happen if I actually say what I want to somebody. Right. Right. I guess just to continue to play devil's advocate for for one more minute, um, or this guy's advocate. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Because he needs one. <laughs> yeah, <right>. yeah. <laughs> no, I just, I just wonder if, um, uh, you know, it could be that he's. I agree with you. It sounds like he's probably being avoidant, and um, uh, you know, and and that the issue is to better communicate. Um, but I feel like the test for him would be like if if he were single for a really long time, um, would that feel painful? Would that feel mm-hmm. lonely? Would that feel isolating? Mm-hmm. I think it probably would for me, but yeah. maybe it wouldn't for him. And if, and if it isn't, then it's okay. I think, you know, I that's, don't know. That's an anyway. important point. Yeah. Um, and, and like, what would you rather have? Would you rather have, um, your singlehood and things be easy? Or would you rather put a little work into this relationship? Because relationships take work. And um, maybe the movies paint all relationships to be like roses and, you know, ballroom dancing and diner food and, you know, until you're 80. But that is really not how it is. Like every single day you have to work at your relationship. Yeah. And whether it's like the person not being neat, even if he thinks all the things line up, like the longer you're in a relationship, the more you realize, oh, man. She does that thing that I don't like. Yeah. She does that other thing I don't like. Like, there's not going to be someone who is perfectly aligned <laughs> to all the stuff. Totally, <laughs> and and also it's it's a um it's a way to to practice acceptance. Mm-hmm. You know, like, do you accept this person and love them even though they're messy? Yeah. And what is it about you that needs somebody to be neat? You know, like maybe take a look at yourself. <laughs> <laughs> what I like about I'm liking the energy. Um, what I like about this question, I just think it's a really good example because I, I probably see probably have like five guys at any time who have, who are going through, who are asking these questions and how it, it feels like you're not interested. Like that's what it's, what's coming out. It's like, I just don't think I like this, but what's underneath that is something that is more fearful or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, unsure in some way like that. It's not that people get worried. Their disinterest is a sign that it's not meant to be Mm. right. When really what it is, is there's something you're not doing. Yeah. I guess what's tricky though is like, you know, how do you know when you're just being emotionally lazy and avoidant versus when like you are truly a good candidate for an alternative lifestyle. You know what I mean? Because like, like I do, I do know some people who, um, you know, do are in poly relationships and some of my friends are super judgmental of them. They're like, Oh, that's just like a sign of, you know, whatever, like this dude needs to shit or get off the pod. Like you can't have it all every which way. And then, you know, other people are like, that's a totally legitimate and fine way to be if, you know, as long, you know, so I don't know, I guess that's, that's to me, that's the tension. So, so the, the idea of being in a poly relationship actually takes way more work yeah. <laughs> than being in a regular monogamous relationship. Either way, you're going to have to work on yourself, yeah. like first and foremost. And so that, that would be my bottom line advice, you know, yeah. like, like, Fearful, are you working on yourself and being the best version of yourself that you can be mm-hmm. and communicating? Yeah. I think one thing that can be helpful when you to that question of like, how do you know if you're doing enough or not? Is like, fearful is a person who's relying a lot on fantasy to resolve these problems, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, oh, life would be so good if it was like this or like that. So I think if you can start to become aware that that's what you're doing, you're, you're just kind of like playing around in your head to avoid conflict, then that you can start to notice, oh, those are the things you should talk about, right? Mm -hmm. Like instead of your wish for like a girlfriend who wanted to have sex with you all the time, it's like, you want to talk about your sex life, you Mm -hmm. know, um, or like someone who was neater than you were. Mm -hmm. It's like, so that, that's like a good way to get, to get into some of this conflict. And I will say as I am a fairly conflict avoidant person and my wife is too. And I find that 
our arguments because we don't have them that much because we're both avoidant. <laughs> but those are some of the my favoritest moments in our relationship because I feel clo- I feel much closer to her. Well, when you do have an argument, yeah, I'm like, oh, I really know you now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you mm-hmm. really know me, and that feels good because it's just not it's not our natural way of doing things. Although I have, I have it the is opposite. A, I know you have the opposite. <laughs> We're not avoiding ever. Oh, I wish yeah. we were a little bit more. So, so I think what you're talking about is is a form of intimacy in mm-hmm. in, a, yes. in a strange yeah, way. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, and um, and so maybe you know, maybe fearful on fifth is is not really familiar with intimacy mm-hmm. in in that way where you're talking about things, you're sharing, you know, vulnerabilities. Um, which is another thing that I think would be good for him to try out to, or to investigate, you know? Yeah. Uh, by the way, Avi, you're saying that you, this has come up with a bunch of male clients, yes. but it doesn't come up with, with women that, that you've worked with this it, commitment phobia stuff. Um, no, I would say to make a broad generalization, I would say that, um, the women that I see, as much as they're totally comfortable talking about uh, issues in the relationship are very much invested in staying in the relationship and Mm. and making it work. I think that's a big difference. Yeah. I I mean, so we have to guess that a lot of this must be socially conditioned men just like feeling this pressure, even when they're older to want to continue to play the field or whatever. Right. Or just or that or that they're not getting the right one. Like this idea that they have to get the perfect one, the perfect match or whatever. That I don't know. That's the way the way I think about it is I do think that that men have an experience of being dismissed more often um, when they're younger. Like that's part of their socialization. I don't know if that's a that's a very generalized general thing to say. But what I mean is like they're sort of told to shrug things off a lot. So then their coping strategy becomes shrugging. They're like, okay, well this isn't good. Mm -hmm. I'll just move on. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's how I think about it. Maybe he should, um, visit a Dom. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what he could learn. No shrugging. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like, uh, what would be good about that perhaps is he'd have to, this is something we talk about every now and then, like, it seems like you need to know what you want. Um, and yeah. so that sounds like that would be. Yeah. And also, like you said, with the fantasy thing, there is no perfect woman. Mm-hmm. You know, like if if um, if her being messy is your biggest problem, like <laughs> maybe you're doing OK. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure. Um, OK, I feel like, I, you know, I feel hopeful for this person, though, because it seems like there's some really clear things that you can work on fearful, um, before even, I mean, maybe it is about, um, not being made for monogamy. In my experience, I, like, like Dia said, um, I think you actually have to be like an expert at relationships to make that work. And I've seen many couples where like they were using it as a band aid, and everyone yes. felt terrible and, and it didn't solve anything. Yeah. Uh, non-monogamy it takes many forms and also is another, um, thing that kind of like can flow in and out of a relationship as well. Like not all non-monogamous relationships stay, you know, look non-monogamous all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if you, if you wanted to explore that option, there's a lot of work to do and a lot of communication to do and maybe even more research. Yeah. Yeah, If you don't like communication now, maybe don't go there. The irony is that like, um, if, if you're a flaky person, definitely don't try non-monogamy, right? <laughs> right. Because you need to be not a flake. You need to be like, take it pretty seriously and, and, and understand, you know, you can how complicated a, it can you be. You can be a flake as long as you are communicative about it. <laughs> sure. And sure. you own that you're a flake. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> um, so, Dia, usually when we, before we wrap, we ask people for some advice that they've been given or um, something that stayed with them that still is meaningful. Mm. Any anything come to mind? Mm, yes, um, actually, there was a it was like a thread on Twitter, you know, in in the Dom world of of what's the best advice you've ever received, and somebody said to be the multitude of selves that you are, mm. and that really resonated with me because, um, I think I've lived my life in in a way where where I didn't really have a lot to relate to. Like I moved around a lot. I'm an only child. I grew up in places that were relatively isolated. Um, 
and I, I was with my mother the whole time. So I didn't have like siblings or a dad or anybody around me at all. I just had my own imagination. And so a lot of times I didn't know and had no frame of reference for how I existed in the world. And so I sought like to relate and that kind of seeking would put me in a place of comparison a lot of times. And so I would compare myself to other people or compare them to me. And that would end up in always feeling inadequate. Um, and so I put all that aside and just focused on referring to myself and all the things within myself and the multiverse of, you know, personalities and qualities and weirdnesses that exist. And I found myself to be so much more happy and richer and more abundant and joyful when I'm just referring to myself, mm. when I'm just like thinking, well, instead of asking myself, you know, what would, what would my friend Lucy do? Just asking my very, very deep self, you know, my most authentic self, what do I really want? You know, what do I choose? What feels the best to me? And I wouldn't call myself a hedonist, but I think that pleasure is definitely a really great um, guide, like what feels good, yeah. you know, and and that is that is the best advice that I've ever received. And I still practice it every day. Um, where can people find you on social media and elsewhere? Um, I have my own website uh, that would be dominadynasty.com on Instagram. I am Dia underscore underscore dynasty and then on twitter i am domina dynasty awesome well thank Great. you so much thank you. my pleasure really thank, appreciate you. It. thank you all right everyone that's it for our show this week as always if you have a question we'd love to hear from you you can email us at heymanpod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 917-426-4326 all questions are anonymous if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram or Twitter at HeyManPod. And when you have a moment, please leave us a review. And even better, recommend us to a friend. Have a great week.